Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, February the 9th, 2023. Regular viewers, listeners to the show know that I have a a particular interest in words. Some words become fashionable and they reflect our society and vice versa. One of those words is empathy. We're always talking about the E word. And another is the A word, uh, authenticity. We've done lots of shows on it. We did one, for example, with Sabrina Horn, who has a new book, Make It, Don't Break It, leading with authenticity for real business success. Um, we did a show with Edward Sullivan about something called Authentic Conversation. Uh, I've written some essays on out-hoaxing the hoaxers. Uh, I'm somewhat suspicious, s skeptical in many ways of what we might think of as the cult of authenticity in our digital age. Um, it's all about being real, whatever that means. Um, and we're talking the A word today, as well as the I word. Uh, there's a really interesting new book out called The Influencer Industry, The Quest for Authenticity on Social Media by my guest, Emily Hand, who is a research affiliate also uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, who's joining us from just outside Philadelphia near uh, my daughter in Bryn Mawr. Emily, welcome. Thank you for having me. So the A word, we're not going to talk about the E word, empathy, although I'm sure there are, there will or there are books connecting the cult of empathy and the cult of authenticity. Mm. But how, what, what do you mean? Uh, we're going to get to influence uh, uh, economics, the, in, uh, the influencer industry in a minute. But why... Uh, why is there an industry, an obsession with this quest for authenticity in our social media age? So something that um, I discovered as I was writing this book, I should preface this by saying that I went into this research project almost a decade ago, not really thinking about authenticity very much. I was really interested in influence. And um, because that word influence, influencer was starting to become uh, such a buzzword and um, people, you know, digital content creators were seemingly buying and selling uh, their alleged influence. And that is sort of what drew me into the project. And then over time, as I was studying the space, I came to discover that what they were really doing was assessing and selling authenticity. And authenticity, um, it's always been a word with a very slippery meaning. Um, By definition, uh, Emily, any, yes. <laughs> you know, I would associate the word with um, my old friend, Ariana Huffington. My, my, my analysis is the more people use the word authentic, the less authentic they actually are. Right which yes. may not be very kind to Ariana, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yes, and that is sort of what we have seen happen over the course of the last decade plus uh, that the influencer industry has developed. Um, authenticity has really always sort of been at the heart of it. It's sort of been like a driving uh, value 
uh, of the people who work in the industry. And then it was sort of transformed into the central commodity uh, of the industry. Um, and this happened in, um, you know, there, there are lots of different factors uh, in, you know, how this actually happened. But I think the, um, the key sort of shift in the, the role of authenticity in the space came when the when the industry started started to expand beyond sort of the initial people who were involved um, in the book I get into kind of the the early uh, sort of the the birth of the influencer industry if you will well, and, let's, and, get, and... Um, uh, let's get to that birth um, <laughs> Emily let's do some history you, you trace all this um, the influence industry very much bound up uh, entangled with the history of social media mm -hmm. are they essentially the same thing is social media and the influence industry are they all dealing essentially with the same thing the same commodity of one kind or another um i mean the influencer industry of course is wholly dependent on social media um and we know that um you know other other researchers and writers on the subject have have sort of shown how authenticity has always been sort of an animating ideal of people who work in silicon valley and so especially if you look at sort of the history of instagram itself as a platform and it's you know, desire to position itself as a place where you really share yourself and, and be real. Um, authenticity has, you know, it, there, the social, the social media industry generally and the influencer industry, uh, you know, are really, you know, they're very intimately bound up. And, and the intimacy is, to me, is fascinating because the logical assumption would be, oh, well, um, the technology resulted in, um, in what you call the commodification of, of, of influence or of authenticity. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming that cause and effect aren't quite that simple. Is that fair? Um, no, I, it's, not, it's not quite so simple. I, um, part of what I try to parse in the book is, uh, is um, just how many people and organizations were involved in this process. Uh, and they were not only working with each other and, and you know, competing against each other at times, but they were also trying to continually like assess and respond to what was going on, you know, culturally um, at the time. And so through that, um, they sort of landed on these um, new definitions of authenticity, if you will. But um, Authenticity in the influencer space is is constantly changing. It is still not like a stagnant uh, or stable. Well, by, doesn't it? By definition, it's by as you suggested, it's such a slippery word. It has to be changing because mm -hmm. it, it, it's a mirage. It's not real by definition. Right. I mean, once people talk about authenticity, then the whole notion of reality, quote unquote, is up for grabs. Right, and and authenticity um you know it's not to say that nothing is real or nothing is genuine um but people have different ideas about what authenticity means and you know have forever um authenticity has always sort of been thought of um 
as a social construction. So something that, you know, people sort of determine the meaning of and it changes uh, depending on context and, and who's involved at the time. And, um, and in the book, I, I may try to make the case that in the case of the influencer industry, authenticity has become an industrial construction. So it is not only something that people in groups are sort of uh, grappling over and changing the meaning of constantly, but it is something that is intimately tied to um, the need to make money off of it. Um, yeah, this is a, I don't know whether you'd call it a, a Marxist critique or certainly a sort of Frankfurt School critique. And before we get to that, let's let's define what an influencer is, because we haven't even got to that yet. You've written this book called The Influencer Industry. I mean, there have always been influencers throughout history, Emily, haven't they? Why do we even assume that influencers these days on social media, on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter are any different from the influencers in history? So... The difference is this industry that underpins them. So, of course, in history, there have always been influential people, famous people, um, things, you know, people who are well known for, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and the difference now is, is the um, sort of very... Um, crass, if you will, um, measurement and sale uh, of their influence. You're allowed to um, use crass on my show. <laughs> if you didn't use crass, I'd probably throw you off. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so, you know, again, like taking the long view of, of history, the idea of influence was always sort of um, thought to be not quantifiable, generally. But there's um, always been a... A, a celebrity um, industry. I mean, we've had Thomas Frank on the show, mm -hmm. brilliant cultural historian. Uh, his book, The Conquest of Cool, Business Culture, mm -hmm. Counterculture, and the Rise of Hip Consumerism. Mm -hmm. I don't know when that, that was written, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Is this ultimately coming out of the pocket of the counterculture, which... We've done shows on um, on the relationship between the counterculture and the digital revolution from mm. from, from counterculture to cyberspace, in particular, a book by uh, Fred Turner of Stanford mm -hmm. University. I'm sure mm -hmm. you're familiar with that book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I I would draw, I I don't think I would draw that line directly for uh to the the, co the counterculture um at least in the way that uh Thomas Frank has written about it but um I will say a, a critical piece of of influencers um today you know of social media influencers is positioning themselves as sort of outside the mainstream, outside of, um, you know, traditional media institutions or traditional uh, cultural institutions, you know, however true or not that might be for, for the individual, you know, claiming that identity. Um, you know, that, that, is, that is, has been a very consistent um, narrative uh, in that influencer sort of, uh, Propagate uh, across time, even though you know the industry has changed dramatically 
um, in the short time that it has existed. Um, so who are these people, Emily, <laughs> these, these influencers? Uh, they don't necessarily have a great reputation. I found for researching for this show a headline from uh, the New York Post of a very blonde woman doing a selfie, and we're not sure whether the who, whether she's real or not. Do they deserve the bad influence? Is it all is it all blonde women staring into their iPhones for selfies? <laughs> uh, it, it is definitely not, um, but. Uh, that is certainly uh, a part of the industry. And I think it was an even more, perhaps more significant part of the industry um, at earlier phases of the industry's development um, that, you know, these sort of stereotypical, um, like women, I guess, who sort of met these very stereotypical, you know, beauty ideals, thin, blonde, white, uh, long hair, you know, there, I, I did an analysis with a colleague like eight, seven or eight years ago, where we looked at, um, you know, the sort of the top ranked influencers of the time. And we were looking at how they presented themselves. So we looked at their Instagram images, their, their bios that they post, um, their captions, all these things, and looking at how do they present themselves. And one of the things that came through in our analysis is the vast majority of these top influencers at the time, again, seven or eight years ago, were, um, they were almost all women. Um, and they were also like very much majority, you know, fitting that sort of look that you just shared. Yeah, um, I mean, so what would be the difference, say, between the Kardashians and an influencer? I mean, the Kardashians, their history goes back before social media. Are they also typical influencers? Um, yes and no. I think Kim Kardashian, of course, is sort of held up as like a touchstone for of influencers. And if you're explaining what an influencer is to someone who is totally unfamiliar with it, I think she's an easy person to point to and say, okay, she's a person who shares a lot of content on social media. She very carefully constructs like her personal brand. And she partners with um, a variety of, of other brands to sell their products and uh, create sponsored content. So um, in that way, yeah, she she is an influencer. She and her siblings um, are influencers. Um, but the but the difference, I guess, is that it's is sort of her um, stratospheric level. <laughs> you know, most people are not uh, operating at the level that she is um, as far as the size of the following the size of the brand deals, the access she already had, you know, to um, in other industries like fashion and, you know, TV and, and all of these things. So, um, so they're, you know, the Kardashians are, are not your average influencer, but they are certainly, they certainly uh, uh, work in the influencer industry. Right, and They are the, are the influencers of the influencer industry. Emily, yeah. I know your book is a, is a narrative. It's not some, I like, like this idea of the quest for authenticity, which is very abstract and hard to pin down. Your book is quite concrete, which is why I like it. You have a, an argument about the economic circumstances that triggered the influencer industry. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I look at um, the recession uh, that began in you know, 2007, 2008 as sort of the 
last straw, the match that lit the dynamite, if you will, uh, for the birth uh, of the influencer industry. So there had uh, there had already been, you know, the groundwork had already been laid that and I that I get into it in that first chapter. Um, you know, we are we did already have the, you know, the beginnings of um, social media, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter had already been invented um, at this time. Blogging had been growing um, in size every year, although it was still, you know, relatively small um, endeavor, but it had been growing. Software like Blogger had, you know, made it much more accessible. So people were already sort of using the internet in this way. Um, we had, um, you know, already a celebrity or, you know, a culture that was very um, interested, if not obsessed in, you know, celebrity and personal branding and things like that. Um, we had, uh, and also the sort of struggling print uh, media industry um, that was, you know, incentivizing advertisers to like, to look elsewhere uh, for places to spend their money and, and get their messages out. And so, but the really like the, the influencer industry, I don't think would have developed in the way that it has, or maybe not at all, if not for uh, the recession. Because so a lot of people, in very simple terms, a lot of people were lost their jobs, uh, mm -hmm. lost their homes, perhaps during the Great Recession, mm -hmm. 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And they had to do something. So they, mm -hmm. they, they aspired to becoming influencers. Is that fair? Well, influencer wasn't really a thing yet, so they didn't. Right. The, this so what did they describe of, themselves as? Social media uh, personalities. A lot of them thought of themselves as bloggers um, at that time, and they were using, um, or you know, or perhaps have a YouTube channel, but um, they were using these social platforms because they were looking for work. Um, they were saying, "Okay, if I if I." put myself out there online, someone will see me, someone will hire me, um, you know, to consult or maybe in a full-time position or whatever, or maybe at least I can network with other people like me who are unemployed or underemployed and I can just keep myself afloat somehow. Um, and that is what drew a lot of these people online. Again, this was in a time where there was a lot of optimism too about social media. And so that was, it seemed very promising to uh, put yourself out there online and you know see what see what happened, and so uh, a lot of people, especially people who were creatives in some way, um, uh, started doing that, and they were able to develop uh, you know loyal followings. And but, but here's my question: Why did the cult of authenticity grow? Why? I, I, I buy your argument about the history of social media going essentially from bloggers to influencers, but what is it about our culture or the internet that led to what you call the commodification of authenticity? So in some ways it was, a, I mean, with the obvious backdrop that we are sort of living in a, in a country that has always sort of valorized the authentic, you know, we, we sort of look up to people who claim to be themselves, you know, whether or not that is true. Sometimes it's, you know, impossible to judge, but we, uh, we like it when people seem to be themselves. Um, and, uh, in, as the influencer industry developed, like I said, this first sort of wave 
being an online social media influencer was not yet a thing. And so this first wave of people really were, they were trying to keep themselves afloat in the midst of, you know, all this economic turmoil. Then they suddenly have following, suddenly brands are saying, hey, what if I give you uh, this purse? Or what if I pay you to, to put, can I take an ad out on your blog or whatever? And then, uh, so this first kind of generation, if you will, of influencers was, um, I guess, more genuine, if you will, in that. Well, then it sounds were, like a did. lie because when the when the advertisers were paying them to display a purse or a brand of food or makeup, they didn't often reveal it. So, a lot of this industry was based on. I mean, if you want to be kind, marketing. If you want to be truthful, mm -hmm. lies. Isn't mm -hmm. that fair? Well, yeah, yes and no, because I think part of what bolstered influencers um, sort of public perception as authentic was this, the stage was kind of set in this early era when a lot of these people were like there's the story that they were sharing that I didn't start this blog to make money. It, it kind of was true because they didn't know it was possible to have a brand sponsor your, your blog because that wasn't really an established uh, norm. So there was some truth to that, um, in, uh, some truth to their own personal narrative that they were putting out there. I just fell into doing this work, you know, like I, I never sought this out. I'm just out here being me um, and this has come to me. There was some truth to that. There's a religious quality to this. We did a show on, um, we've done a number of shows on American Christianity. There seems to be a very intimate relationship between the history of American Christianity and this kind of influence economy. Many are called, few are chosen, the, mm -hmm. the, the cult of authenticity mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. the way in which certain types of people are attracted both as players and as audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I hadn't, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly uh, a very interesting point. And in a very literal way, um, you know, the world of uh, Christian influencers and Mormon influencers, that is a very, uh, that is a very robust uh, niche of the of the influencer industry. And there are um, there are some researchers and uh, writers out there who have really dug into that uh, specific niche. So the internet maybe is the church of, of influencers or the church of authenticity. <laughs> Where are we now? <laughs> right now, um, uh, Emily, uh, I saw a headline that advertisers are planning to increase investment in, the influ in influencer marketing. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, it's the blind leading the blind, probably in many ways. Are, are there one or two people you want to cite as quintessential players in this influencer industry, real influencers, if if that isn't a contradiction in terms? Hmm. Um, you know, it's always so hard when I get asked for examples because the influencer industry has grown so much. Um, there are... Um, I mean, the, the, the influencers that I might cite to you, it's very likely that no one has, um, has heard of them because there is seemingly, you know, an influencer or not one influencer, but hundreds, if not thousands of influencers for every um, sort of niche topic. Um, and that is something that is um, very uh, 
interesting and also worrisome because the because the industry has grown so large, um, it has also become kind of out of control. Uh, and like when again, when I first started this project, when it was first developing, it was very much a commercial space. I was looking at fashion bloggers and beauty bloggers and lifestyle and parenting and and things like that. And it was very much people were posting about these sorts of topics and getting brand deals with brands who are involved in those in, in those industries. Um, and it was very much, you know, a, about commercial commercial messaging. Is it, is it kind of like crypto um, in the sense that it's it's a little bit of a cultural Ponzi scheme? The early people probably some early people made off like bandits and then more and more people are sucked in, seduced by the the lies and the promise, and very, very few of them make any money. They quite literally sometimes, unfortunately, lose their pants online. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> is it a big scam, Emily? Um, it, it, <laughs> so the, the popular narrative that this is like a thing that's accessible to everybody and you should just you know, just sign up for, you know, make an account and start posting and you too could live this wonderful, glamorous life doing what you love. That is absolutely a false. Um, that is not a realistic uh, narrative at all. Um, it, it obscures so much of the hardship um, so th that comes with working in this space. It, it obscures how incredibly difficult it is to truly make it as an influencer. If that's what you're looking to, you know, do for your work and sustain your life, that is, um, it's incredibly difficult. So that narrative is false. Um, and, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I often say that it's like very easy to make a few bucks and it's like incredibly difficult to make a living. In a way, it's like the gold rush of the middle of the 19th century mm -hmm. out here where the only people who really made money were the, the Levi Strausses of the world mm -hmm. that were selling instruments and clothing to the miners. And in this sense, mm -hmm. the people who have made money out of this are the original owners of Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and of course, uh, uh, TikTok, we've done some shows on TikTok with Chris Stokel Walker. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. I mean, is this the real the real beneficiaries of all this are the owners of the platforms who are selling yeah. advertising essentially off the back of all these wannabe influencers? Yes, I, I think that is fair to say. I, I don't want to minimize the the influencers who, you know. Because I've spoken to many of them, people who are who have made it, and that is great for them that they have been able to, you know, make a living do working on content that they like, and it and it it does happen. But the overarching story of this is the story of social media companies wresting power away from the individuals um, and for themselves. Um, because again, when this began, the blogger, the early bloggers were sort of the pa powerful ones, even though they may, it may have taken them a little bit to realize it. Um, because when again, when blogs were the you know the main venue for this, they they own you know you own your own blog, you own your content. People you know advertisers were kind of really e eager to get in on this and to spend money. 
And then um, slowly, you know, the industry, more people come into the industry and want to take a piece of the pie. Marketing agencies, there are just a million, like countless marketing agencies who have inserted themselves in, in here. Um, to Am I an influencer, Emily? How do I become one? <laughs> I need to make. <laughs> I don't know. Sign Maybe I should take my top off. <laughs> Not Sign on this show, of course. Um, and uh, see see what you. What is there something you've talked to a lot of the influencers? I mean, my wife and I have friends who have kids who now want to be influencers. The mm -hmm. parents spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on their education, and now they say they want to be influencers. Is there something mm -hmm. rather sad? Something existentially miserable about this shift in our culture. So all these kids, and it, it tends to be a generational thing, although of course there are slightly older people who want to be influencers too, that all these people want to become influencers and they're lonelier and lonelier and more and more isolated. I do think that this is, um, the influencer industry has sort of changed the way that we look at ourselves and, and look at it, each other. Um, and there it being sort of being inundated uh, with this type of content constantly. Um, I think it, it change, it changes how you think of yourself as, you know, a potential product or, you know, and having to be sort of yeah. perpetually it, prepared to be on camera and share exactly. the, the it, face it, of the public. If one of my oh. kids came home and told me they want to be a social influencer, I, I, I have to admit I would not be happy. I would think I'd failed as a parent. So Yeah, it's, and I mean... This idea, it, as you say, of packaging yourself up and imagining that everything you can, anything you do can be photographed and sold online one way or the other. Yes, and influencers themselves, uh, you know, most of the influencers that I've interviewed for my book and also, you know, there have been other studies and surveys and things like that that have come out. They, they tell you that it is, you know, very hard on them mentally, um, you know, to sort of constantly be chained to this public performance and these pressures of presenting yourself in these, in like patterned recognizable ways that, you know, that people recognize as being real um and authentic but also monetizable and um and not alienating your audience or brands or, or things like that it's a it's a really taxing uh way to to live and work and yeah i so, don't think uh, i think herbert marcuse of the old frankfurt school or, or adorno they would be turning in their grave and also smiling because mm -hmm. it's exactly what they predicted would come mm -hmm. out of what they call late stage capitalism although late stage mm -hmm. capitalism seems to be just as healthy these days as it was back then. Finally, Emily, um, I wonder whether there's, again, a coincidence that technology now, the big thing in technology is chat, GPT, AI, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is increasingly making it hard to distinguish between the content of humans and the content of smart machines. We've done lots of shows about that. Joshua Browder, mm -hmm. who's predicting mm -hmm. the end of lawyers. Dean Koontz, the best-selling writer, who says that AI will never replicate the human soul. Mm -hmm. uh, then with my old friend Keith Tier, we've talked about the AI age. Is it coincidental that maybe the next chapter in the influencer industry, or maybe the final chapter in the influencer industry, and this weird quest, this surreal quest for authenticity is the birth of AI and 
technologies like chat GPT? Yeah, I, you know, that is something that is that I'm watching <laughs> with interest. Um, it's it's and it, it's interesting to see how the industry has sort of leveraged AI already. Um, it's something that they have. It's really been for the last several years already that particularly marketers in the space have been um, touting their use of of in-house AI to uh, as a means of cleaning up the industry, you know, as a means of ensuring that the influencers that you work with really are the perfect influencer for your brand and vice versa and, um, and things like that. And it's, they're using it as a means to exert, you know, this sort of facade of control over the industry. And then on the flip side, we have things like, uh, you know, there's like C the CGI influencers that I write about in the book. Lil Michaela is probably the most famous one. But again, she kind of emerged on the scene probably five years ago now. Yeah, so these um, are fake. It, I mean, these are non-human influencers, machine right, bot, right, bot right. influencers. But, right. But they have an appeal to brands, especially because they're easily controlled. They're, you don't have to worry about um, them speaking out about a subject that you don't want them to or... Um, you know, doing something offline that then makes it into the news and becomes a scandal. Um, uh, and so they, they do have appeal. Obviously, they have not, you know, uh, gained traction, I think, in the way people thought they would when Lil Michaela first came out. But um, it's definitely something the, the industry is trying to figure out how to leverage for its own benefit and survival.